showcasing beloved favorites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network.
For Ramsgate in Kent, England, it's a warm welcome to another brand spankingly new edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I am your host, Jason Drury, thanking you very much once again for joining us from whatever podcast provider you are listening to this show. Now, first of all, I'm going to answer some emails which have been sent to me over Christmas concerning past shows. The answer to the questions are yes, no, yes, the request show did happen and will happen again, three times a week, only if a donkey is available, and thank you for your concern, and I'm afraid we are continuing this show, if you like it or not, so there. Now, with that out of the way, let's crack on. This is the first part of a two-part show of the archive, concentrating on the myriad of releases of archival soundtracks just before Christmas and after the Christmas period of 2022. Started the show with our traditional James Bond pre-credit queue to start the first archive show of the year from another Christmas release of a James Bond score from a La La Land Records. This time they're expanded from 1997, Tomorrow Never Dies. The second star Piers Brosnan as James Bond 007 as he attempts to stop Elliot Carver, played by Jonathan Price, a power-mad media mogul, sounds familiar, from engineering world events to initiate World War III. This, as you probably know, was the very first David Arnold James Bond score, and the cue was entitled White Knight and straightaway features the the exciting David Arnold, James Bond sound we've all come to know and love. This actually started as part of a demo session for the producers for Arnold's suitability for scoring Bond. Of course he was. And Tomorrow Never Dies became the first of five James Bond scores by the Luton-born composer. Now, at the end of the suite was a little piece a lot of you may not have heard before outside the film. Backseat. Pilot, one of the many fantastic additional cues of his fantastic release from La La Land Records. And we're going to play for you some more brilliant Bond action music, which I, I think I do not remember ever being played elsewhere before. Well, I haven't heard it. It made its debut on the expanded Chapter 3 Records release in 2000, and sounds even better on this new remastered release. The music appears when, after escaping Carver's headquarters via motorcycle, Bond and Chinese agent Wei Ling, played by Michelle Wei, are chased, backed up by a queue lasting under seven minutes in length, featuring Arnold's high brass action motif for the film, loads of ethnic percussion, and some exciting variations of the James Bond theme. So without further ado, let's listen to some more music from this classic James Bond adventure. Here now is Bike Chase from the 1997 film Tomorrow Never Dies, with original score composed by David Arnold.
That was Bike Chase from the 1997 James Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies, with original score composed by David Arnold and orchestrated and conducted by Nicholas Dodd. The original soundtrack recording was released in a wonderfully expanded two-CD set over Christmas time from La La Land Records, an essential purchase for any fan of James Bond music and, of course, the music of David Arnold. By the way, David, happy 61st birthday. Your interview offer is still available. An episode of Talking Soundtracks has been put aside just for you. The home for beloved favourites and forgotten gems, this is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. In early December 2022, Intrada Records released an expanded edition of the original score of Conan the Destroyer, the sequel to the 1982 film Conan the Barbarian, directed by Richard Fleischer from a screenplay by Stanley Mann and a story by Roy Thomas and Gary Conway. The film starred, surprisingly, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mako reprising their roles as Conan and Akira. The cast also included Grace Jones, Wilt Chamberlain, Tracy Walter and Olivia Darbo. The plot this time concerned Conan leading a ragtag group of adventurers on a quest for a princess. And the score as per Conan the Barbarian was composed by Basil Polidorus who accepted the offer to score Conan the Destroyer before even seeing any footage. I figured well this is going to be a walk. I've already done all the music for the first one. He said during an interview for a 2001 documentary short, Basil Polidorus scoring the Conan saga. It's just a matter of tearing the score pages out of the first one, throwing them into the second. We go to Rome and record it, and that'll be it. Now that notion was dispelled with, with initial meetings with director Richard Fleischer and producer Raphael De Laurentiis. Upon viewing the film, I realised that yes, there was certainly sections that cried out for the use of the inclusion of some of the original material from Conan the Barbarian, but this was a whole different animal. There was more of a light-hearted nature to it. It was less concerned with revenge. In fact, there's very little revenge in it. So there were many considerations that we had to put into the first one that really were totally inappropriate for Conan the Destroyer. That's where the work began. It just kind of grew. It was almost like taking the original one and deconstructing it. One rich vein of material carried over from the first film was its powerful opening theme. Propelled by insistent hammering rhythms, it features in the main title and returns to underpin the action in numerous cues in the score. Significantly, Polidorus brings back his yearning love theme for Conan and Valera during scenes that depict the warrior's grief over his lost love, a.k.a. Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to act. Remember, this is three years before Arnold Schwarzenegger said those immortal words in his greatest acting performance ever, and I quote, Get to the chopper. Interwoven with returning themes is new material, particularly as Conan himself receives a new theme. A bold melody announced in brass during the main title that seems to flesh out the bones of the old theme. But the true set piece of the score 
is the six-minute Chamber of Mirrors, featuring the spectral descending motif for Toth Anon's palace and a clawing line for the weird monster that lurks within. It's completely interior, the composer observed. It's a different kind of mind at work. So musically, I realised that I would have to represent that. There's a sense of magic, a sense of discovery because of all the mirrors. And in the end, of course, it's a sense of Conan's power. I chose instruments like piccolo and harpsichord and things that musically would represent the kind of visual that goes along with it. Because it was such a departure to music that Bolodoris has scored for Conan, this was the first scene he scored for the film. In 2011, the score was re-recorded by the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Nick Rain for Tadlow Records. This new release is the very first time a complete original recording of Conan the Destroyer has been released, comprising of the complete score, alternate cues, and on a second disc, the 33-minute original album release. So let's now hear a suite from the classic... 1984 sword and sorcery fantasy adventure sequel Conan the Destroyer with original score composed and conducted by Basil Polidorus.
That was music from the 1984 Fantasy Sword and Sorcery adventure sequel Conan the Destroyer, with original score composed and conducted by Basil Polidoris, performed by the Unione Misistis di Roma. And if you think I've just pasted that pronunciation from another show, try and prove it. This new original soundtrack recording was released in a new expanded and remastered two CD set by Intrada Records. This is The Archive with Jason Jury on the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Also around Christmas, aside from the terrific release of Tomorrow Never Dies, La La Land Records, amongst their Christmas release roster, produce a very interesting and very overdue archival release to one of the most classic films of the 1970s. The Godfather, the 1972 crime epic directed by Francis Ford Coppola, who co-wrote the screenplay with Mario Puzo, based on Puzo's best-selling 1969 novel of the same name. The film starred memorably Marlon Brando with the help of some marbles in his mouth, Al Pacino, James Caan, Robert Duvall and Diane Keaton were all acted without any marbles in their mouth because Marlon Brando wasn't willing to share. This was the first installment of what would become the classic Godfather trilogy, chronicling the life of the Corleone family under the patriarch Vito Corleone from 1945 to 1955, and the transformation of his son Michael Corleone from reluctant outsider to ruthless mafia boss. At the 45th Academy Awards, the film won Best Picture, Best Actor for Brando, Best Adapted Screenplay for Puzo and Coppola, and in addition, seven other Oscar nominations, including Pacino, Khan, Duval, all for Best Supporting Actor, and Coppola for Best Director. But nothing for the score. I wonder why. The film's score was composed by renowned Italian composer Nino Rotta. In October 1971, Coppola flew to Rome to give Rotta a copy of the film to score. Now, Rotta, besides composing and recording original material, also utilised music from the 1958 film Fortune Ella to help emphasise the Italian feel of the movie and was the source of the film's classic love theme. What Coppola wanted from Rota was pastiche, music that precisely, by not exactly being Sicilian, suggested Sicily as an idea, but at once communicated directly the feeling of the Sicilians. The score should be music that haunted Don Corleone from the old country, and music that would come to haunt young Michael Corleone. Coppola loved Rota's efforts for the film, but one important person wasn't so keen. Paramount executive Robert Evans. Evans despised the score, particularly the film's main title, Waltz, and he wanted the score thrown out. He especially objected to the theme's use in the famous scene where movie mogul Jack Waltz wakes up to find the bloody, decapitated head of his prize horse under the covers with him. Coppola said that he was able to break his stalemate with Evans by suggesting 
Let's show the movie with the music to an audience. And if they like the music, we will keep it. Well, after a screening of, of between 30 and 40 people, they did like the music. And, more importantly, the film. Evans relented and the score stayed in, with some conditions emphasised by the executive. When the Academy Award nominations were announced in February 1973, among the nominations was Ross's score for The Godfather. Up against two John Williams scores, The Poseidon Adventure, that sounds familiar, and Images, as well as music from an old Charlie Chaplin film, Limelight, which was eligible thanks to a much belated theatrical one in Los Angeles. However, the Academy revoked the eligibility of Rotter's score in March and had the music boss re-ballot and determine a replacement nominee which turned out to be John Addison's sleuth. It appeared that the Italian film composer Mafia had ratted on Rotter's use of the music from Fortunella for the film's memorable love theme, making an offer to the Academy that, quite frankly, they couldn't refuse. Despite this... Rotter's work and his theme for The Godfather has transcended from the film music world to a place in popular culture. If you mention The Godfather to anyone, not just film music fans, Rotter's music comes immediately to mind. Real life mobsters have even embraced it themselves, playing the music on special occasions, including weddings, baptisms and funerals. Now the true irony of this came Two years later, when Rotter's music was nominated for an Academy Award for Godfather Part 2, the score even won the award and included plenty of his love theme, which he took from Fortune Ella. So here now is music from the 1972 gangster epic The Godfather, with original score composed by Nino Rotter.
That was music from the classic 1972 gangster epic The Godfather with original score composed by Nina Rotter and performed by the Hollywood Studio Orchestra conducted by Carlo Sabina. The original soundtrack recording has been released on a wonderful two-disc set which contains the complete score of the film, outtakes, the original soundtrack album and bonus tracks of music composed for the film by Coppola's father, Carmine Coppola by La La Land Records and in my opinion even though it was released just before Christmas is one of the archival soundtrack releases of 2022. On the air and streaming on the web since 1996 this is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. Now, amongst the goodies released by Quartet Records just before Christmas of 2022, one really did stand out in terms of its size and scope. The Magnificent Seven Collection. Yes, music from all four films of the original Magnificent Seven film series, which starred Yul Brynner, George Kennedy, and in the end, Lee Van Cleef as the same person. Yes, three completely different people playing the same person. Whatever next, how about Monkeys on Mars? Go figure, with this poor disc set featuring remastered music from first of all The Magnificent Seven itself, then The Return of The Magnificent Seven, Guns of The Magnificent Seven, and finally The Magnificent Seven Ride, with all four movies featuring that famous, wonderful, classic main theme. Yes, that one. I'm sure, with all due respect to the makers of this set, once you've finished it, I bet you will not be wanting to hear that theme for a long, long time afterwards. But we are going to play some of this music, if you like it or not, and the one we chose to play for you is not The Magnificent Seven itself, but Guns of The Magnificent Seven. The second of the three sequels, made in 1969, directed by Paul Winkles, and starring George Kennedy as Chris Adams, character Hugh Brynner, portrayed in the first two films, but with hair. The additions to the cast make up a new seven. Those were Monty Markham, Bernie Casey, James Whitmore, Winnie Santani, Joe Don Baker and Scott Thomas. Each, as before, have their quirks and baggage. They band together to help free a Mexican revolutionary, Fernando Rey, and help fight the oppression of sadistic Diego, played by Michael and Sarah, aka Kang from Star Trek. It again, Edward Bernstein is there to provide the music. Well, not exactly. In fact, the film was scored by long-term orchestrators Jack Hayes and Leo Sulkin under the supervision of Elmer Bernstein. On the film's opening credits, Sukin is credited of providing musical arrangements, with the bulk of the score consisting of thematic material that Bernstein composed for the original film, with new renditions to fit the on-screen action. In addition, there is a villain theme, an upbeat riding theme, and a variety of thematic material for the peasants, I mean peasants, that appear in the movie. A saying this, the 1969 recording of the score is very strong indeed, with Hayes and Sukin showing a mastery 
of Bernstein's original material, which is no surprise that they orchestrated the original 1960 film. All of this was conducted by composer Emma Bernstein at CHS in London, recorded by Jack Clegg. Music for the third and final sequel, The Magnificent Seven Ride, the one with Lee Van Cleef, also with her, maybe a toupee, but not been confirmed, was recorded at Universal, but was also treated very similarly to what Mrs. Hayes and Sukin does in Guns for The Magnificent Seven. Utilising re-recordings from cues written for the original film, plus one cue from Guns and two from Canon for Coldaba. So, let's now hear some music from... Guns of the Magnificent Seven, the 1969 Western sequel, with that famous tune, here it comes. That wasn't your cue, put the kazoo down now. Sorry about that. The original score, well, composed by Emma Bernstein and arranged by Jack Hayes and Leo Sukin and conducted by the composer himself, Emma Bernstein.
see if we can get this right. That was music from the 1969 sequel to the classic film The Magnificent Seven called Guns of the Magnificent Seven with original score composed by Elmer Bernstein, arranged by Jack Hayes and Leo Sukin and conducted by Elmer Bernstein. I think that's right. This original soundtrack recording is part of a four-disc set, The Magnificent Seven Collection, all recordings remastered by friend of the show Chris Malone and released by Quartet Records. Now stop that, be quiet. And my thanks to Chris Ballone and his daughter, who played the kazoo, for helping me with that segment. I think it may need some swanny whistle, but it would have been perfect. Now, as we come towards the end of part one of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast, I must tie up some loose ends, particularly the result of the 1973 Academy Award for Best Original Score. I do hope we haven't Google searched it already. As you may have heard on the Godfather segment, the nominations were The Bessardal Adventure, Images, brought by John Williams, Napoleon and Samantha by Buddy Baker, Limelight by Charlie Chaplin, and the late entry Sleuth by John Addison, which replaced the disqualified The Godfather. And the winner was Limelight by Charlie Chaplin which is quite appropriate because we are finishing the show today with music from the 1992 biopic of Chaplin, as the release of the score has just come out in an expanded edition from La La Land Records. This biographical comedy drama was directed by Richard Attenborough and starred Robert Downey Jr. in the title role as Charlie Chaplin, Marisa Torme, Dan Aykroyd, Penelope Ann Miller, and Kevin Klein, and also featured Charlie Chaplin's own daughter, Geraldine Chaplin, in the role of his mother, Hannah Chaplin. The film was nominated for four BAFTA Awards, winning one, Warwick Downey for Best Actor, and also nominated for three Academy Awards, failing to win any of them. The score was composed by John Barry, and it is a score which has deserved an expanded edition. Expanded edition on its to mark the film's 30th anniversary. I think at the time a lot of people underrated this score and really does deserve a second chance. If you may remember, a few years ago we played some actual music by Charlie Chaplin on the archive. And if you remember, the music was so, so beautiful. Now if you put the musical style of John Barry and Charlie Chaplin together, it becomes literally an irresistible combination. In his score for Chaplin, Barry did incorporate some of Chaplin's music into his incidental score. This included his Academy Award winning theme for Limelight, part of his score for City Lights, and most memorably, Chaplin's song Smile. Barry incorporates this into his end credit piece, which also includes his highly melancholy main theme, which depicts in its music the tears of a clown. The score won Barry his seventh Academy Award nomination, of which the composer won five. This turned out to be his second loss, losing out to Alan Menken's Aladdin. The score that was his first loss also was released over Christmas, and that will feature in the second part of his edition of the archive. So, now to end part one of this edition of the archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast, here is one of the most achingly beautiful end title pieces ever written for film. On the cue sheet it is entitled Chaplin Main Theme Slash Smile. 
the end titles to the 1992 biopic of the life of Charlie Chaplin, with original score composed and conducted by John Barry, incorporating the music of Smile composed by Charlie Chaplin and performed by the English Chamber Orchestra. This expanded original soundtrack recording was released in January 2023 by La La Land Records. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed part one of this edition of the Archive on the Cinematic Sound Radio podcast. Part two will be with you very, very soon as always. But until then, for me, Jason Drury, is take care and happy listening.
Thank you for listening to the Cinematic Sound Radio Podcast. I want to thank Tim Burton for providing his voice for all the bumpers you hear throughout the program, and to David Casina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And wherever you're listening to us today, please take a moment right now to leave us a rating and a review of the podcast. You can get a Cinematic Sound Radio t-shirt at our Tee Public store. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cinematicsoundradio. And don't forget to check us out on the web at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>